if, if you've not read the story or the life of Joseph, I want to encourage you to do so. You will find it in Genesis chapters 37 through chapter 50. And perhaps you've not read this story before. Um, I want to encourage you to jump into it. Jump into it through these chapters and watch the life of a man who sought to commit himself to God in every way. But also what you will find is you will find his God, our God, who desires to love him in every way he, he can and is committed to that. I want to give us kind of a Cliff Notes for some of you old school people. Cliff Notes version or a summary, of a brief overview of this life of Joseph. If you start and look at the story in chapter 37 of Genesis, one of the first things you'll see is this young man who has a lot going for him. He's daddy's favorite, which never hurts, right? And he is, um, he is in a season in his life where he is very much seeking to grow and mature. Now, sometimes that got a little bit out of hand and perhaps some youthful pride. But before he knew it, that turned into jealousy from his brothers. In fact, his brothers despised him so much that while the brothers were out attending the sheep, is that his dad, their dad, Jacob, sent him out and said, please, go check up on them. Well, because of some things that had happened, including a dream that he shared, Joseph did with his brothers, that turned into some resentment and some jealousy, what happened was is as he approached them out in the pasture, as he had traveled, his brothers saw him from a distance. And in, in Genesis 37, what we read about is that his brothers plan out of jealousy to kill him. Now, thankfully, by the grace and protection of God and a little bit of wisdom from the brothers, they decided that killing probably wasn't the best option. Let's just throw him in a pit. So that's what they did. Well, then after that, a group of Midianites came along as they were headed to Egypt. And they thought, well, this is even better. Let's just get him out of here. Let's send him to Egypt. So they sold him, made a little money off the boy, and got him out to Egypt. So early in Joseph's life, he's, he's been despised and actually thrown out of the family, essentially. His dad grieved, obviously, was torn and broken. And so here's Joseph on a camel, a donkey, and a chariot of some sort on his way to Egypt. And as he gets to Egypt, the Midianites decide, this, this one's not worth touch to us. Let's sell him to somebody to use as a slave or a hired hand. And so he was hired by um, a guard, a captain guard of, of, um, of the pharaoh named Potiphar. And so Joseph is thrusted into this position in the family of Potiphar. In fact, Joseph walked closely with God through this time. So much the fact that Potiphar noticed. Potiphar said, you know what? You're doing such a good job. I'm going to give you charge overall. Everything in my household, I want you to manage. I want you to take care of. And so Joseph served faithfully. He walked with God. So you're thinking, okay, maybe things are settling down a little bit for Joseph. No. Genesis 39. Joseph's been serving Potiphar for a while. The wife sees an attractive young man and says, Hey, you know what? Why don't you come sleep with me? Joseph is tested again. 
As if things weren't bad enough, now he's facing this. And you can imagine, if you don't know the story, you do know what happened, is that Joseph said no. He stood in, in commitment to his God and said absolutely not. She didn't like that. And so what she did is she created a lie, grabbed his cloak, and shared with Potiphar, this man was trying to rape me. Obviously, she was believed by her husband and not the hired hand. And so off to prison in the latter part of Genesis 39, Joseph goes. And you're just thinking, why doesn't he give up on God? God hasn't really been very good to him through all of this, but yet Joseph remained committed to God. And so he spent some time in prison. He met a couple guys in there. It was the cupbearer and the baker from Pharaoh's court. They had a couple dreams. They were troubled by these dreams. They started talking about them one day. And Joseph said, hey, you know what? I can interpret those. In fact, God can interpret those dreams for you. He said, okay, tell us about them. So he explained to them what God had told him. Well, you would think in doing an act of kindness like that that you would maybe get a little something back. They forgot about Joseph. In fact, the cupbearer fulfilled the interpretation of the dream. He was back in the court with Pharaoh, and the other guy's dream was about him being killed, and that's what happened. But for over two years after that, Joseph just remained in prison. But Joseph was committed to his God. Joseph served faithfully in the prison so much, not just because of good favor, but because God's hand was on him and was purposed for him, is that the prison warden was so impressed and said, you know what, I want to put you in charge of stuff. You're imprisoned, but I want you to be in charge because God's hand is clearly on you. And so that's what happened. And so then about two years later, Genesis 41 it starts to be heard among the land that Pharaoh's had a few troubling dreams. So what's he do? Most good Pharaoh's, all right, let's call in all the magicians, let's call in all the sayers, let's call in anybody that can help me know what these dreams mean, because I'm not sleeping. He couldn't find anybody to do it. Nobody could interpret the dreams that Pharaoh had. Well, then the cupbearer says, you know what? I remember a guy a couple years back, that little time in prison I spent, I met a guy, and he interpreted my dream and the baker's dream, and they came out exactly the way it has played out, exactly the way he interpreted it. Pharaoh says, bring him on. Nobody else can do this. So Joseph comes to the court of Pharaoh, explains his dream in Genesis 41, and he nails it. Because Joseph didn't do it in his own power. God did it. And what was cool is that Joseph gave credit all the way along. Or Joseph gave God credit all the way along. So you're thinking, okay, things are pretty good. Well, things were getting good in a lot of ways for Joseph. You move into the latter part of 41. As Pharaoh was so impressed and so pleased with how God interpreted the dreams and shared that with Joseph and that Joseph was obedient, that he made him second only to him, to Pharaoh as a ruler in Egypt. So he had it all. You know, those are the times, sometimes it's easy for us to say, well, yeah, God may have gotten here, but, you know, I've really done the hard work. God may have gotten me here and helped me with this, but I've done the hard work. And for us to turn away and depend on ourselves, Joseph didn't do that. 
Joseph more than ever spoke of his God as he managed and ruled with humility, trustworthiness, and efficiency. The dreams, you may know, said that there were going to be seven years of plenty in the land of Egypt, followed by seven years of famine. And so Joseph managed all the collecting in the years of good and plenty. Well, the time of famine had come. In chapters 45 through 50, we read this very dramatic story in Joseph's life about him reuniting with his family. Can you imagine this? Your brothers who sold you, threw you away for death, essentially, and then now they're coming back to you because they don't have any food. And as many people were doing in that time, they were coming to Egypt because Egypt, through Joseph, as God used him, had gained so much wealth, so much plenty and harvest, and people had nowhere else to go except to Egypt. And lo and behold, guess who shows up? Those same brothers that threw him away. Tempting, wouldn't it be? Joseph had every power just to say, get rid of them, kill them, be done with them. They treated me horribly. That's not what Joseph did. Joseph didn't let his life be dictated by circumstances. Joseph committed to God, and that set everything that he was to do. Now, did he miss it sometimes? Yeah. But Joseph is such a sweet example for us of what it means to be committed to God. Now, I know what you're thinking. Anytime we hear about stories like people of this in the Bible, we tend to start beating ourselves up and comparing and saying, wow, there's no way I can be a, be a, a man or a woman that, that reflects commitment like Joseph does. And so we kind of just discount ourselves and say, you know what, I'll just kind of keep going. But there's no way, there's no way that I can ever be as committed as Joseph. You need to remember one thing. We serve the same God that Joseph did. You need to remember that God's commitment to you is no different than God's commitment to Joseph, to Daniel, to Paul, to Stephen, to anybody else that has chosen to follow him with their life. God's commitment is the same to you. And so I want us to look at just a couple of things, and in fact brings us to this first observation, is that God's commitment to us is not exclusive. Many would say in the life of of Joseph, well, of course God chose him. He was good looking. He had good family position. He had a really cool, colorful coat. I mean, all those things. Why wouldn't God choose this, this boy? One of, the, one of the, the false things that we believe, the lies we believe, is that God's commitment is a pick and choose. God is committed to anybody that's willing to surrender their life to him. Sometimes I hear people say, well, God, God just chooses those who are already doing well. Yes, He does, but He also chooses others to commit to. In fact, any others that are willing to follow Him. And then I hear people say, well, God really focuses in on the down and out. Those who have, who've been in drugs and perhaps experienced uh, just bad relationships, and He wants to draw them out of the pit and, and restore them and redeem them. So he, the, the ones that already kind of have it figured out, He doesn't really focus on them. He focuses on the ones that are really in bad shape. Yes, He does. But He also commits to anybody and everybody else in between those two extremes that is willing to commit their life to Him. 
You see, God is not exclusive. That's not who God is. God's character is of love and faithfulness. And that faithfulness is a faithfulness that you cannot, cannot be excluded from except for one reason. You know the only thing that keeps us from the blessings of God's commitment? Anybody know? What's the one thing that keeps us from the blessing of God's commitment? Us. Us. That's what stands in the way between us and the blessings of God and the promises of God. Us. I hear people from time to time, I've heard it over many years, is, is people say, well, you know, God just hasn't picked me. You know, God's just decided that I'm not worthy. Talk about the farthest thing from the truth we read in Scripture. He sent his son to die. And we all know and could say to anybody is that he sent his son to die for everyone. Not just for those people in church. Not just for those people who go to certain churches. No, he has is, he is sent his son to die for anybody that's willing to surrender to that. The only barrier is us. And so what's that mean for us? If that's God's commitment to us that is not exclusive, and let me say it again, God has not excluded you from his commitment to you. The only thing standing in the way is you. Now, I don't know what that looks like for you. I don't know what that barrier is. But as we look at this today, I'm sure this is going to stir in a lot of ways, perhaps certain situations in your life that bring up a lot of emotion and a lot of grief, a lot of resentment, perhaps, and bitterness. You know, as I was praying over each of these chairs this morning, I was praying that God would meet you in whatever situation, good or bad, that you're walking through, and that he would remind you that he is committed to you. And he says, come, commit to me anew. Maybe you have, but, but, but I want you to be committed to me. And so what does that look like for us, our commitment to God? If God commitment to us is not exclusive, then our commitment to him should not be either. Look at the life of Joseph. Joseph did not pick and choose, well, I'm going to follow God here, but this kind, of, this kind of pretty woman has asked me to sleep with her, and I could probably get away with it. Nobody would really find out. It would be our little secret. And so I'm going to just kind of set God aside for a little bit, and I'm going to do this. No. I'm in prison, Joseph. I'm not going to really, I'm just going to go and serve my time. No, that's not what Joseph did. He served God in all of his time there. Look at Genesis 39, verse 9. 39, verse 9, if you have a copy of Scripture with you today. There's this setting here where Potiphar's wife lures him in. And here is Joseph's response. After he said in verse 8, after it says he refused. In fact, let's start in verse 8. But Joseph refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am, Joseph said. Now here's an underline, an underliner or a highlighter. How then could I do such a wicked thing against God? How could I do such a wicked thing against God? You see, Joseph's commitment to God was not exclusive. In other words, he didn't take part of his life and commit to him and then let the other parts go. You know, I remember early on and after I accepted Christ, I remember that, and we do that, 
knowing that we don't know, we don't understand everything that this commitment means. But I remember there's certain things in my life, and I'm like, oh, yeah, God, it's yours. Take it. Yes. Yeah, it's all yours to deal with. But there were certain things that I just kind of set aside. Uh, God, that one's kind of messy. You don't understand what that relationship has been and the hurt and pain. And I really do. I just want to follow you, God. I don't really want to deal with that. I just want to follow you. You see, part of maturity in Christ is along the way, what we do is more and more and more we are willing to surrender to God. Nothing's held back. That's what Joseph life models. He had so many opportunities to deny God or to walk away from God or just slightly turn the other way. He didn't do it. He didn't pick and choose. And the blessing in it was is God strengthened him through that. God will strengthen you through that. You see, God wants our total commitment, the big things and the small things. And you're saying, well, I'm not sure what that is. Guess what? Welcome to Discipleship 101. That's what it is to figure out and walk with Christ. That's what it is to seek him and say, okay, what is it that I'm holding on to? There are times people come into our lives and God uses them to help us see those things. But I think more than anything, it's us seeking God and saying, reveal it to me. Tell me, God. That's how our commitment plays itself out. God, teach me what you want to in this season. Teach me in this circumstance. But God wants our total commitment. And we have to nurture that. That's what it means to follow God. We nurture. It's not going out and doing, doing all kinds of good deeds and making the show and all of that. No. Here's the key truth. If you don't write anything else down today, write this down. Commitment, our commitment to God is not about earning God's love. Our commitment to God is not about earning God's love. It's about receiving His blessings and His promises. You see, a lot of people will look at this and they turn commitment into a works-based thing. Well, I got to get approval from God. I got to keep doing this and I got to keep doing that because if I do all that, then God's really going to love me. Remember the first thing I said? God's commitment to you is not exclusive. He loves you. He created you. No one loves you more than God does. But He wants you to love Him back. And that love back comes in the big things and small things. And yes, sometimes that means we have to do something. But it starts in the heart. It starts when we, we surrender our heart and then our actions outflow from that and demonstrate obedience. But it's not to earn approval or love from God. It's to receive His blessings. See, a lot of people want to follow God and want all of God's blessings, but they don't want to have to commit to Him. It doesn't work that way. What you just witnessed up here, what you witnessed about a month or so ago with six people that, that made a commitment of baptism, some for, uh, again, to reaffirm as adults. You saw, and some people would say, well, that's kind of silly just doing that, right? You know, you got a little plaque and you got you know, a little book, whatever, whoopee. Can't we, be, can't we just be a part of a church without having to go through all that? We could. There's a lot of churches do that. We have made the decision that that's a significant commitment particularly in this day and age, when people don't want to commit to much of anything. And sometimes it's just laziness, isn't it? That's why I don't commit to some things. I'm just lazy and I don't want to do it. 
We believe that this commitment of membership that these 11 individuals made today is hugely significant and that God is going to distribute and play out his blessings in their lives because they've committed to him for, foremost, foremost to him. But he's, they've also committed to all of us and saying, we're in it with you. We're in this with you. Not because ECOB is the greatest church ever. Yeah, we're a pretty good church, I think. But because we are one representation of a lot of representations of this big body of Christ. And instead of just floating around everywhere, they said, we want to commit here. That's huge. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for modeling that to us again. God's commitment to us is not exclusive. Therefore, our commitment to him should not be either. God's commitment to us is not always apparent either. God's commitment to us is not always apparent, but it's always present. God's commitment to us is not always apparent, but it's always present. It saddens me that I hear so much and have heard many a times in my time as a pastor. People say, well, God's just kind of abandoned me. God didn't abandon us. God does not abandon us. If you have committed your life to Him, you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that should never, ever, ever be a statement you make. God's commitment to us is not always apparent. Look at Joseph's life. If there was ever a guy that could say, boy, God keeps throwing me under the bus. Brothers throw him out. This woman tries to seduce him. He takes the upstanding path, and then what's that earn him? Prison. You see, so much we look at our circumstances, and, and we believe that God has abandoned us. Look in 39, chapter 39, verse 2. I would have loved to have been on the donkey with Joseph on the way to Egypt. I would have loved to and said, okay, Joe, what you thinking right now? You, life was pretty good. You got a nice coat. Your dad loved you more than anybody else. Things were going good. Now you have been separated and thrown out of your country, going to Egypt. Where's God right now? Now, I don't know what Joseph would have said, but I can imagine a little bit. We don't have any recordings of it that I'm aware of, but what I would imagine is he probably was grieving that a bit. But, but what follows tells me that he was as committed to God as he ever was. Chapter 39, verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph. God was committed to him. And he was committed to his God. When the world's looking at Joseph's story, what would we say? Oh man, this poor guy, his life is it's kind of done. That, that whole experience of being in, a, being in a pit and then going... You know, Poor guy, he's, he's done with. Not, it, nothing's good going to come out of this. You see, that's the world's view. It's not God's view. Another thing that happens as we follow Christ in our life through the ups and downs is that when, when we follow Christ and commit ourselves 
to God through him. What happens is what is worldly perspective becomes godly perspective. And when we are not following Christ, we think worldly. That's the way it is. But when we choose to follow God through Jesus Christ, what happens is that that perspective begins to change. And what what, what we began to see and think was not good changes. Joseph was committed to his God. And while everybody else was probably saying, oh, this poor sap, man, he has got it bad. Joseph said, my God is with me. My God has not abandoned me. Because I'm looking at this, that God can make good out of what others intended to be bad. Hold on to that one. We'll come back to it. So what's that mean for us? If, if, God does, if, if, if God's commitment to us is always not apparent, but always present, then what does that look like for us? Think about Daniel. He was in a furnace in a, in a den of lions. That doesn't look real good. But he prospered because the Lord was with him, because he was committed to his God. Look at Paul, who was persecuting the church, realized, eh, through a pretty dramatic conversion, that probably wasn't the way to go. And so he follows Christ. He pours his life and soul. And what's the reward? He gets to go to prison. And that's where he spends the rest of his life. In the world's eyes, in these Romans' eyes, oh, the silly man. If he just would have kept following the Roman way, yeah, he'd have been all right. But he, he committed to this God, and now he's in prison. Oh, that's just too bad. Things are horrible. Think about what Paul did in prison. Think about the blessing to you of what happened between Paul and God in prison. A lot of things in here. You see, it's not always apparent. I had, I had several people come to me after first service and just, just say, Thank you for reminding us of that. And a couple of those situations, they're, they're going through some really tough stuff. And I just said to them, I said, I'm sorry I didn't have time to really elaborate on that we still walk through things and, 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 um, in a way that we have to grieve and they're hard. And I, I don't want any of this to look flippant. I know. I know what it's like to walk through those tough spots. I need people in my life, and I've had... You need people in your life to continue to say, God has not abandoned you. But what that doesn't mean is that we won't be tested. In fact, because God is not always apparent in His commitment is not always apparent in our life, but He's present, what that means is you'll be tested. Our commitment to God will be tested. Joseph's was, as he went to slavery, as he was tempted by Potiphar's wife, as he was imprisoned, as he was taken advantage of by the cupbearer and the baker. He was tested over and over and over again. There is a lie out there in Christendom, and the lie is, if God really likes you, your life will be wonderful. Good equals God, and bad equals no God. Again, that's our, that's our view, that's our perspective don't settle for that immature misunderstanding of who God is. God doesn't walk away flippantly from things like we do. No, He's committed to us. And just because life is good doesn't mean that God is more in your life because often the good is a worldly good and not a godly good. And just because God seems apart from your life and you're being tested, it doesn't mean you're being punished. 
One of the greatest things God does for us is that he tests us because he tests us with one goal in mind. You know what that goal is? To draw us closer. We don't draw closer to God as much as we think we do when we're on the mountaintops. We don't do it. I saw it years and years in youth ministry, those wonderful mountaintop experiences. That's not how kids grew in God. That's not how they loved Him more and depended on God more. No, it was in the pits when their parents were going through a divorce or it was when they're in the pits because something else, tragically, they were struggling with an addiction, but they kept looking to God. Look at Genesis 40, verse 8 in Joseph's life. I love Joseph in this moment. This is so cool because, again, he's got so many reasons to be resentful, to be bitter, to be just mad at God. Chapter 40, verse 8. We both had dreams, cupbearer and baker said, but there is no one to interpret them. Old Joe steps up and he says to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. I love the confidence, and I love what is not holding him back. He had no legitimate reason to give God credit, but he does. He continues to surrender authority and power to God. That's what commitment looks like, even when things look horrible. Again, he had all kinds of reasons to say, well, God's left me. And what's he do when the whole dream thing comes up? In a really kind of seemingly very aside kind of thing, he says, well, let's go to God. I mean, where else should we go? That's who I want to be. That's who I want us to be. That when things are horrible and we're being tested and it's apparent that God and everybody else has abandoned us is that we know that's not true. This one couple I was talking to after first service, they, they, they just very tearfully said to me, thank you. And I said, you know, it's hard because we know it here, don't we? But it's not always easy to believe. It's not always easy to believe it here. And so if you're in a moment, if you're in a time where you're believing it with all your heart, then you find somebody that's struggling to believe it, and then you reassure them of God's commitment to them. You reassure them that God perhaps is testing them, but that God will see them through. You see, each test in our life, if that's what we want to call it, each trial in our life, it's for the opportunity for us to yet in another way say, God, I'm going to follow you. God, I'm, I'm, I'm now going to follow you in this. I, I'm going to reaffirm my commitment again. If you haven't reaffirmed your commitment to God in a long time, do it. Now, don't do it just because the pastor says so. Do it because you want to do it and your heart says do it. But it's good for you. It's good for your soul. It, it, it's not just a, it shouldn't just be a, an inauthentic act. But God wants to hear from you. God wants you to reaffirm that commitment. Because every time we do that, I absolutely believe what we see in Scripture is God reveals a little bit more of Himself. And when He reveals more of Himself to me, that reminds me of a couple things. First of all, I'm not God. And that's what we try to do most of the time, isn't it? We try to play God. And when God reveals Himself to me, what it says to me is, Dan, you're not God. And also what it does to me is reminds me that I need to commit to him because he is, because he is. 
Again, we can walk around and we can say that. And I don't know how this looks for you personally in your life, but I'm telling you, don't just assume it. Don't just, don't just try to get through it with your head. Put your heart into it. But we will be tested. Look at James 1.12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because... Having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now, let me just say, crown of life doesn't just mean about what's happening in the future after you die. That's a big part of it. But Joseph's life, excuse me, and other lives exemplify commitment through the test is that we we receive the blessings of God. Again, we're not looking to earn approval. We receive the blessings. God's commitment to us will become evident in and through us as we walk with Him. Joseph's life, in a lot of different ways, impacted many. Look at Genesis 41. Quickly take a look here. Genesis 41. Pharaoh's dream was interpreted by God through Joseph. Joseph was obedient. Pharaoh acknowledged it and realized this is it. And so now Pharaoh says, after he has appointed Joseph, says, the plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. I'm in 37, sorry. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all of this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. Do you realize what Pharaoh just did here? Pharaoh acknowledges God's power and authority here. He acknowledged because, first of all, that the Spirit of God was present in Joseph's life. And then he acknowledged that God really did interpret these dreams. It wasn't a man who was really good at tricking people. That's huge. I know so many times when we follow and commit to God is that what, we, what we're, we're fearful of is that it's really not making a difference. God's commitment to us will become evident in your life if you allow it. If you allow it. And if you look throughout Joseph's story, in multiple ways, he gives God credit. Well, let's go to God to, to figure out this dream. Over and over again. Go to chapter 45 in this last big scene of, <clears throat> excuse me, of Joseph's story. His brothers are back before him. Verse 4, then Joseph said to his brothers, again, they don't know who he is yet, or just, he just revealed that, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land, and for the next five, there will be no plowing and reaping. Verse 7, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. 
Joseph is so laser-focused on God. He had every right, those brothers coming in, to just rip into them. He had every right, we would say, to have them killed. And what does he choose to do? He chooses to acknowledge that God has been in every part of it. God has not abandoned him. And what they intended, in fact, go over to verse 50, or chapter 50. Chapter 50, verse 20. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So don't be afraid then. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. What a foreshadowing of what Christ has done for us. You see, Joseph understood God's commitment to him. And he, he looked at every opportunity to share about that with others. Joseph's story impacts us today. Not just today, but many others not just on this Sunday, but in many days as we read his story. And so our commitment to God should be expressed in much the same way, by sharing thanks and giving God credit. That's what commitment looks like. God's walked me through this. You may not understand all the details of that. It doesn't matter. You know where it came from, and that's what does matter. You see, God's greatest act of commitment to us comes through the cross. His greatest commitment to us is what he did through Jesus Christ. And what Joseph has helped us see is what a life of commitment looks like. And instead of choosing revenge to his brothers, he chose for forgiveness. He chose forgiveness. Instead of trying to make himself feel better, he chose to acknowledge God and reassure his brothers. That's a God thing. A man or a woman cannot do that in their own human power. That is a God thing to be able to forgive like that. Look at Matthew 28, 20. It's on the screen. We love Matthew 18 through 20. It's the Great Commission. It's, it's what the purpose of any church is, and that is to be disciples and make disciples. And we love that. We get on board with that. It's a wonderful thing. But often, we stop before the end. But look at this. This is the last part of verse 20. After he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptize in the name of the Father and the Son, after he lays all of that out, he says, and surely, I want you to read it with me, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. God's greatest act of commitment to us is found in Christ. And it requires a response, church. And it's not just a response that we give once in a while or just when it sounds good. No, it's a response that really comes out in every detail of our lives, as it did in Joseph's. My question for us this morning is, what is that next step of response for you? Again, this isn't about what you do for me as a pastor or, or what you do for others to see. No, this is between you and God, the God who is committed to you. 
How do you express that commitment to Him? Again, not because you're trying to earn love and approval from Him, but because God has blessings in store for you. Now, we can't be afraid of that. That's not any name it and claim it kind of thing. That is the truth of God as we commit to follow Him. Hundreds of years after Joseph died, there was a man named Stephen who stood before the Pharisees. And his last big speech, he is pouring out the history of God's commitment to his people. And as he does this, the Pharisees are already essentially grabbing stones and ready to stone him to death, which they will do in just a few moments. And what he says when he comes to the life of Joseph, he says this in Acts 7-9, God was with him. That's what I want people to say about us when we die. God was with them. Not because they had all these great worldly things, but because, as we all do in the ups and downs of life, our commitment is foremost to one thing, one person, and that is God through Jesus Christ. I want it to be said of us is that God was with them, not to make other people feel bad, but to draw people to the love of Christ. And so that's what I want to leave us with today. People looking at your life, would they say God was with them? I don't want people to say I like to paint and I like to do this and that. Who cares? I want people to say God was with him. And you know, he screwed up sometimes, but God was with him, and his heart was to follow God in everything. And when he messed it up, he went right back to God and asked for forgiveness, and he surrendered. But God was with him. I don't want people to say that because I was a pastor. That's not why I follow God. I don't want you to follow God just because you're a part of this church or somebody sees this. I want people to say, you follow God. You, God is with you because They see the evidence of the fruit of your commitment. And it will be seen in a lot of different ways. And so I'm asking you this today, is what is your next step in commitment? And maybe it's just standing as we worship, and we're going to worship a little bit longer to finish things up. And maybe you just stand and you sing louder than you've ever sang before because you want that to be an expression of your commitment to God. And who cares what you sound like? Maybe you want to come up and you want to bow to God out of absolute overwhelmed love for who He is. Then you come up and you bow before Him or you bow right where you're at. Or maybe you want to walk out of the door and when you go have lunch, you want to leave that waitress an extra tip and say, I'm leaving this to you because God has blessed me and I want you to know that God gets the credit, not me. And we can go on and on and on. But don't do it for everybody around you. Do it for God. But let's consider today our commitment to Him. And maybe you're here today and you've never fully made that commitment to Jesus Christ. Don't wait. Don't wait. If you want to experience the blessings of God, you must commit your life to Him. Pastor Josh and I would love to talk with you, whether it's here in a few moments or after we leave this worship. Your God's committed to you, and don't you forget it. And God's calling you to be committed to Him because He has so many blessings in store for you. And you will experience the fruit of what it means to follow God. And there's joy in that.
Father, as we close together in song, Father, I pray that you've used your word today to teach us and remind us. And Lord, as I, I know the, the situations and circumstances are a plenty in this, this size of, uh, of, of people gathered. But God, what I know, no matter how hard it is for them right now, is that if they've committed to you, you are committed to them. Pour over them your love, your blessings, and your favor. Lead them to follow you with great commitment. Father, may, may we be a church where people look and say, oh, what a nice building they have. No, that's not what we want. God, what we want is people to see our commitment to you expressed while we're together and while we're apart. May there be evidence of that in the community this very week. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's